It's Fox Top 5, the podcast where the hosts always agree to disagree. This week on Fox Top 5, former South Carolina congressman and host of the Trey Gowdy podcast on Fox News Radio, Trey Gowdy. There's a book and it will change your life. And co-host of The Five, Dana Perino. I like a lot of World War II fiction. Uh, historical. I love historical fiction as a genre. Come together to share their top five favorite books. Here are this week's hosts, Trey and Dana. Welcome to Fox Top 5. I'm Trey Gowdy, host of the Trey Gowdy Podcast, and I am joined by my friend and the busiest person in all of television to me. She's the co-host of The Five. She's a co-host of the I'll Tell You What podcast with uh, some other guy whose name I can't remember right now. She had a distinguished career in public service before television, and she's also one of the most decent, kind, thoughtful people you will ever meet, uh, the great Dana Perino. Hey, Dana. Wow. That is some introduction. Thank you. You forgot Jasper, mom of Jasper. Uh, I did forget about that, and I forgot Chris Starwalt, but I did that on purpose. I, I figured that was on purpose. I think that he would know that that was on purpose. How are you doing? I'm doing great, uh, and I, I had to I had to scramble to think of five books that I've read, uh, and I know that you are a reader. In fact, you, I've got a list of books you recommended to me that's sitting right beside me on my on my desk. Oh, really? Like oh, I bet like fiction because uh, I went with fiction. Uh, I've got DeMille, Plum Island, uh, Gold Coast. I've got Margaret George. Um, uh-huh. Those are books that that you recommended to me and they're on my list because I'm always looking for good good things so to read. My top five, it just changes depending on, I don't know, mood or whatever, because like, anybody could go back and we should establish here that we both agree that the Bible is everyone's favorite book. So <laughs> the five favorite books or best books outside of the Bible. Um, I, 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 I tend to read fiction more than nonfiction when it comes to books except for when I read your book, which I loved and I rely on, and it makes so much sense. It's called Doesn't Hurt to Ask. Recommend it for everybody, especially young people as they're getting their careers going. Really important. Yeah, so I tend to read fiction. And then what I did with this list is I said, if I were giving one of my best friends five books, I think that they should take um, on, a, you know, on an extended vacation, what would they be? So that's what, how I thought of it. And the way I thought of it, and, for, and first of all, thank you for assure, assuring my mom that the Bible would be uh, one through five on my list it, had we not just agreed not to include I mean, that. so uh, obvious. Yes. <laughs> that will put her mind and heart at ease. I thought, okay, if a young person says, give me a book that could potentially change my life, wh- what, what book would I recommend? And so I, I picked five that have stuck with me, even though in some instances, I haven't read them in 10 or 12 years. Mm -hmm. It was hard. It was hard to make this list, but um, we got it. We have our list. Well, every week on this podcast, Fox reporters, hosts, and personalities uh, do get together and share their top five on different topics. Um, And you can tell that you love to read. I mean, you could just, I can just tell watching you on television that you love to read and you've been kind enough to recommend Uh, books to me. So for anyone listening that is interested in a good read, or if you're not reading as much as you want to, um, but are thinking about getting more into it, I hope uh, that our list uh, can help you. And if it suits you, I guess we'll start with number five and I'm going to let you go first. 
Okay. Number five. This is tough for me, but... Okay, I'm going to give you one that I think is fun, also a little insightful. Um, I think you know, I, I lived in England for a year with my husband. Um, I met him on an airplane in 1997, and then I moved to England, and we got married, and I didn't have a work visa, and so I had all this time to read, and I loved it, and I got to experience a culture and it's not like I lived in a castle and I didn't live in some like fancy flat in London. We lived in a small village um, on the uh, west coast uh, where the just about 20 miles north of Liverpool and we also went to Scotland quite a bit and this book is called Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine and Eleanor Oliphant becomes a character that you just love and you wonder, I always think about, I wonder what she's doing now. Like even today, I'll think about, oh, Eleanor, how is she doing? It was a great book, one with a lot of heart, laugh out loud, funny, a lot of quirkiness when it comes to Britain. Um, sometimes the language might not translate for people in America that haven't had a chance to spend too much time in England. Um, and even there were a couple of times when I had to ask Peter, what does this mean? Or when they're talking about food sometimes, I got a little confused. I would just say this book is fun. And I would say it's probably more something that women would like than men, I think. I think. Well, you paid the highest compliment I think you can possibly pay to a book, which is that it it impacted you long after you read it. And, and my guess is an author would say, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And when I look at my list, number five is a book by Madeline Miller. Um, she's written two books, The Song of Achilles, but this one is is titled Circe, C-I-R-C-E. And um, I, it's Greek mythology, which I have always loved since I was a kid. Uh, and she kind of fills in the gaps of the stories that we, we learned. But she poses this question at the end. Um, the, uh, the, the heroine in this book is immortal, uh, but everyone she loves is not. And so she has a choice at the end to whether to remain immortal or to die alongside the people that she's loved and cared about. And and so it makes me think, is death the only thing that gives perspective to life? If we're going to live forever, then does life lose some of its meaning and luster? And I just I thought it was a powerful way to frame that question. And it's a fascinating book to read if you like Greek mythology. So I read that. And I did not have, um, I, I, it's one of a, it's a big gap in my education. I don't really know a lot about Greek mythology. And so I was reading it and I have to say, I was kind of confused. Um, but at the same time, there's this National Geographic podcast that's for kids and it's all about Greek mythology. And I listened to that after I read the book. And I, I'll give you another compliment about that choice. Anne Patchett, who is my favorite American author, no, a novelist. She uh, suggested that book to me. Well, that puts me in good company. Um, I, that recommendation came from uh, from two young women that I work with. We had a little book club when I was in D.C., Tim Scott, Johnny Ratcliffe, and some folks that we work with. And that recommendation came from two young women I, I work with. And that book was so good. I then went and read The Song of Achilles. I just... That, that question of whether death is the main thing that gives life perspective and meaning, I found fascinating. And I, and I wonder, because the book doesn't tell you, I wonder if she drank 
that potion that made her mortal at the end. Because, I mean, it'd be terrible to outlive everything and everyone you cared about. It'd, it'd be Isn't lonely. There, didn't she write a second one? She wrote the Song of Achilles, which I think um, may have come first. I may have read them uh, out of order. I see, I see. Yeah, that was a good choice. Good choice. Um, I'm impressed. Number four. I read a book. Um, I like a lot of World War II fiction, uh, historical. I love historical fiction as a genre. Uh, World War II fiction, there's a lot of it. A lot. And I've read some great ones. I've read some that I just feel like they're rehashing things. Well, I feel like I could do this podcast. I could do my top 50 books now that I'm talking about that because I just thought of three more that I liked. But anyway... I read a book called Everyone Brave is Forgiven uh, by Chris Cleave. This book is fantastic. Um, it's about four young people, uh, sort of like late teens, early 20s. Um, they're, they're really good friends. There's some love interest. And one man goes to war. The other one stays behind. And it's the whole war effort and all of the things that they go through in London and, and in a countryside um, location not too far from London. And I just loved that book. And I love how Christopher Cleve, he's written many that I like, um, but I think he's so good at writing from a woman's perspective. And I would love to interview him sometime because I really don't understand how he does it. Because you think like, wow, how would he have thought of that? Like, how did he know that that's how women think? Um, it's it's really wonderful. It's, I think it's great for both men and women would like this book. And I just love also the premise that everyone brave is forgiven. Well, I love the genre and I love the time period. And while you were talking about Chris Cleave, I'm thinking uh, uh, Ken Follett. And I'm thinking the, ta the Tattooist of Auschwitz, which I read mm -hmm. not that long ago. What an amazing time period. Uh, World War II and, you know, Follett has written a trilogy on it. And he wrote The Eye of the Needle. Um, so I wrote that one down. I also have three sisters. So maybe maybe he has sisters. Maybe that helped him with the perspective uh, growing yeah. up. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe. What's your fourth? I, I picked one that you and I were supposed to read in school. You probably did. I did not. <laughs> I read it later in life. But I picked Billy Budd by Herman Melville. Mm, never he read never, it. He never finished it. Uh, it was finished for him. It's the story of this perfect sailor named Billy Budd. He is he is handsome. He is beloved by his shipmates. He just has one flaw. He stutters when he is angry. And of course, uh, his perfection uh, makes at least one person hate him. Uh, and that was his supervisor on the ship. And he baited him and he falsely accused him and Billy Budd struck out in anger and killed him. And so it's a debate between what has to happen and what should happen whether there's natural law or just man-made law. They, the, the captain of the ship had no choice but to punish Billy Budd, even though you know, what he did was eminently understandable. He was provoked. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a line in there that has stuck with me. It is struck dead by an angel of God, but the angel must hang. And, and that, 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 that it stuck with me because it, it, he was as close to perfect as you can create a character and literature, uh, but yet he was hanged. Um, and this debate over what the law should be versus what it is. Um, now it's carried out. <laughs> it, it um, It's a hard read, Melville, uh, Melville, Hawthorne. You got to work your way through it. But if you like to debate, like the Nuremberg Trials, 
whether following a, a bad law is any justification. If as a lawyer, obviously I found that fascinating. And so Billy Budd has always been a book that that stuck with me um, after I read it. All right, I'm gonna put that one on, on my list. Don't blame me. He's a hard author to read. So I mean, don't... it's a lot. That's asking don't, a lot. Don't get mad at me. <laughs> don't take it to the beach. That's what I would say. Uh, no, do not. And uh, and I, I needed a dictionary with me while I read it. You probably will not. But No, I probably would. Um, I, I like having the dictionary with me, but sometimes when you read on your Kindle uh, or on the Kindle app, when you can just look up the word, so convenient. Everyone knows him more, you know, from Moby Moby Dick. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. But Billy Budd, um, it shows up on people's lists. It's, it's weird. He, n- he never got to finish it. He died. So you mm. kind of wonder what he would have done. But right. if you like the law and you're interested in what it is versus what it should be, uh, it's a pretty good characterization of that debate. Okay. The countdown continues after this. Number three. All right, number Warn three. everybody that Jasper's about to walk in here, so you might hear a little excitement. Um, and there's nothing I can do because we are here at home and he's going to grab a toy and he's going to make a lot of noise. Uh, maybe not. Okay, so my third book is by uh, Ewan Ivy. I think I'm saying that right. It's E-W-O-N. Ewan? Ian? Peter's here. He's saying Ewan. Peter is actually my dictionary. I don't need the Kindle app. Um, Peter's British for all of you out there. He, of course, knows English language very well. Okay, so um, you and Ivy wrote a book called The Snow Child. And this podcast is happening here in the winter, of course. Um, I think that this book needs to be read in the winter. And of course, Trey, you're in South Carolina, so you don't even know about snow. Um, (laughs) But this book is a little bit, um, it's fiction. And I usually don't read fantasy literature, which is why Cersei actually was a little different for me. But Ann Patchett recommended it. So of course I had to read it. The Snow Child is about um, in the early 20th century. So I'm thinking like 1910, 1912. The government tried to encourage people to move out to the frontiers, you know, to to move out across the country, to populate this great country of ours. And there's a couple living in Pennsylvania and they're having a terrible time conceiving. And and she's had several miscarriages and they, they have a big family. Both of them have big families and more and more nieces and nephews are being born. And there's just a frustration and a sadness that propels them to take this big leap of faith. And they take the government's offer to go and work this plot of land in Alaska. Now, mm-hmm. nobody knew anything about Alaska at the time, right? It was just completely, it's like going to a, a completely foreign country. And they get there, their marriage is um, strained, but the snow child arrives. And you don't know if it's real or fantasy, and it's a wonderful, beautiful book. I love the descriptions. Uh, I love to learn about how hard people had to work in the summer just to get through the winter, just to survive. So I recommend that one, beautiful book. It was also recommended to me by Chuck Blahouse. Do you know him? No, ma'am. from Mercatus Institute. He does a lot on social security reform and things like that. He's an economist. So when he recommended this book to me, I was sort of uh, thought, well, let me check it out. I don't know. And I ended up loving it. So I put it on my list. Well, ironically, the third book on my list has two of those same characteristics, um, a, a strained relationship 
um, and, uh, and and a diff- difficult um, environment. Um, and it is, um, I love Russian authors. Just the, the, the way culture treated infidelity uh, differently and and what what is love? I mean, did she love Vronsky? I mean, she loved her child, but she abandoned her child. But did she have to? And then you have these this Russian agrarian economics thrown in the middle of it. But that turns out to be something of a love story, too. I, I just I find myself thinking about this this beautiful woman, Anna Karenina, who had everything in the world and she jeopardized it for what she thought was love, her marriage, her family, her child, her reputation. Um, and then at the end, she concluded it wasn't worth it. Just the impact that uh, the bad relationships and betrayal and infidelity, um, whether it bothered Vonsky or not, uh, didn't seem to, uh, but it wound up you know, costing her her life. And I just think it was a beautifully written book. But yes, it's hard. It's hard. No spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you made it, if you made it that far, then you'll plow on through those final few pages. Did you watch the movie? I did. I'm a big Kira Knightley fan. I, it's yeah. hard to capture that, that that book in a movie, though, don't you think? Well, that book is so long and it's so hard. I mean, I, my, one of my favorite books is um, Souls and Itzen. Um, oh, yeah. That's a hard guy to read, too. Yeah, but I remember reading that. But a lot of those Russian authors I read in like high school, which was right when the Soviet Union was collapsing. And my family and I, um, we belong to the Lutheran Church and th- in Denver. And through Lutheran World Relief, they resettled a lot of refugees from the former Soviet Union as it was all collapsing. And so, you know, I would be reading those books and their um, and the hardships. Um, that came with communism and then seeing these people getting to come to America and restart their lives um, in freedom and liberty. Uh, so yeah, I, I have a soft spot for Russian literature for sure. I think you referenced Alexander Solzhenitsyn um, mm-hmm. who- um, Day in the life. Yeah, they, I, I, I don't know what drew me to the Russian authors, but you're gonna probably hear another one before we make it all the way up to number one. Well, that's in, it's interesting. I wonder if, I wonder if young people are taught those authors now. Probably not. Well, that's why I kind of give young people who are crazy enough to come ask me my thoughts on their their future. I'll give them a list of ten books that I just think you have to read, whether you yeah. want to or not. It's you you just have to, and you don't have to read all the Russian authors, but you, you got to read something by Tolstoy or Dostoevsky or Solzhenitsyn or Chekhov. Yep, I'm gonna go with Solzhenitsyn. It's also not that long. <laughs> well, so you because it's just box. a day in the life. <laughs> it's not like one thousand pages. <laughs> Number two. Okay, so my um, second book, another World War II era book, "All the Light We Cannot See." Oh, it's amazing. By Anthony Doerr. It's amazing. Do you know that his parents have a house in Palmetto Bluff in South Carolina? And I didn't. Peter, I, I I found that out. And Peter met them at one point and I said, I wanted to go meet them. And I only really fangirl over authors. I even wanted to get his parents' autograph. (laughs) And this is a book about um, a young girl who is blind. She gets caught up in the protection of some jewels from the Nazis. She's trying to protect them from the Nazis and two lives intersect and it's, in Paris and then in the south coast of France and 
It's such a great book. And do you know that his publisher told him it would never sell? Or basically said they didn't think it would had much promise. And then it ended up on the New York Times bestseller list for, I think, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I think it was like almost three years. Well, it's an amazing book. And, and you've got that the, kind of the half of it with the, the, the young girl who's blind. And then you have the man raised in the orphanage and how their mm-hmm. lives intersect. And, and he has to join the Hitler youth and he doesn't want to, And he always knows there's always a part of him that knows it's not right. You remember the part of the book where uh, the the other young man who's part of the Hitler Youth essentially mm-hmm. gets uh, debilitated by his classmates. He's mm-hmm. just he's punished and and physically mm-hmm. altered. I, that it, it's such a profound book. Um, I I was heartbroken that she was never reunited with her father because I, 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 I know they're, they're, I'm gonna try to get this out without getting emotional, but I mean, their relationship was just so so special. Beautiful. And he built her um, these intricate dollhouses, um, and they were so beautiful. It was it's such such a great book. Um, I highly highly recommend it. It reminds me of a book called The Book Thief. Did you ever read that? I, I have read it, and one one of my colleagues is reading it right now, and she loves it. Yes. So um, that author is Marcus Zuzak. And I met him through Barbara Bush, um, obviously before she passed away. She um, had those literary events, literacy events, and she would bring authors together. And one year, even though I hadn't written fiction, I wrote that book and the good news is, um, she invited me to be a part of it and Marcus Zusak was there. And I read the book Thief. I think that book was on the bestseller list for like five years or something like that. And there is also a movie with that, but I feel like it doesn't capture the book um, and his second novel, and it's something about a bridge. I can't remember the title. It's also very, very good. Well, it, it, I am so happy that you mentioned both of those. I, I did not put all the light we could not see on my list, but I, I should have, but I did not. And The Book Thief, um, and I would add to that, The Tattooist of Auschwitz, which I, I, I thought was amazing. But uh, keeping with my Russian author theme, book that changed my life was A Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. And Mm. it's hard to read. But you know, Dana, we live in this culture, we live in a Miranda culture, where you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. And Dostoevsky is arguing, there's another side to that. The human condition needs to confess. And when you don't confess, when you do not admit your wrongdoing, there are physical and psychological manifestations from not doing so. And look, I summarized it in a couple of sentences. It took him a couple thousand pages, but Mm -hmm. the detail with which he writes and his ability to describe what guilt or the need to confess or sin does to someone physically and psychologically uh, Mm. is just brilliant. So... That's number two for me. Okay, so uh, before I tell you my number one book, I'm going to ask or mention something. So I read this book years ago, and then um, Peter and I recently moved from one house to the next um, in this little town where we uh, live in New Jersey. And so it was over the holiday, and I had a lot of boxes to unpack, so I couldn't really just sit down and read like I would normally love to do on some time off. And so... I listened to this book again on Audible. And I would recommend, like, for a book like Crime and Punishment that meant so much to you, but you probably haven't read it in a long time, put that in your phone. And as you're doing chores or walking around, 
the neighborhood or if you go for a run uh, or a lo- if you have a commute or a long drive. Uh, it's really interesting. If there's a good narrator, it can just take you back to your favorite book in a, in a different way with different senses. That's a great idea because I promise the narrator will not mispronounce uh, the name, all the Russian names like <laughs> I did in my own head. So I'd be curious. What, there you go. <laughs> I'd be That's curious another good the, reason to do it. Number. 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 Number one. Five, four, three. Three. Number one. So my number one book um, that I read a long time ago that I listened to again is by Ann Patchett. I mentioned she's my favorite modern author. Um, she's written many, many books. I could tell you all, I love all of her books. This one is special. And uh, when you talk about issues of just wrestling with decisions, values, morals, consequences, um, it's called Patron Saint of Liars by Ann Patchett. And it takes place um, in the 60s and 70s, 1960s and 70s. Um, there's a woman who is quite independent, but grew up in a time uh, without her father. Her father dies when she's very young. And her mother is a beautiful woman that gets remarried to a lovely guy. And this character, she just feels, her name is Rose, that a lot of men are interested in her. She's not that interested in them, but she feels like, I guess she should get married because this guy really wants to marry her. So she gets married. Anyway, she's not happy, but she knows how to drive. So she spends the days just driving, driving, driving. Well, one day she drives all the way to Kentucky. And the reason she is is because she's pregnant and she makes a decision to go and to a, hmm. It was like a, a Catholic home where women in trouble that's what they used to call it right women in trouble would go and the idea is that you go there you have a safe place you're taken care of you have the baby you give the baby up for adoption and then you go back to your life that's not what happens in rose's case um the character development in this story is so so good and um all the issues that we wrestle with life and death and those choices that you make, you know, consequences for them. And also telling one lie that complicates the rest of your life because you're then always lying. Right. Um, it's just a great, great book. And that's set with a cultural backdrop of the 1960s, 1960s, 1970s. Right. Yeah, I mean, it made me wonder. I mean, even when I was in school, I, I went to school with a, with a young girl that was who got pregnant in the sixth grade. And <gasps> just contrasting that with mm. with you know my own children's uh generation and and you know the cultural backdrop of how that is is treated differently and uh and viewed differently um well i want you to go back even farther than that i want you to go back to a time when uh, brit hume was in high school 374 okay. bc 374 bc and I know you're sitting there thinking, what in the world could have any relevance to my life in 374 BC? If you are wondering how people decide what is worth fighting for, what is worth sacrificing for, what is worth volunteering to sacrifice for, there's a book by Stephen Pressfield called The Gates of Fire, and it will change your life. It is a story um, about the Battle of Thermopylae, 
where some people believe democracy was preserved by the Spartans with a little bit of help from some other Greeks, but 300 Spartan soldiers and about 5,000 total soldiers held off the Persian army at a place called Thermopylae. And Dana, not just, you know, you didn't have to be drafted in that culture. It was dishonorable to not be picked to go. Every one of them knew uh, that they would die. Every one of them. Mm. And, 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 and the, it's one thing to volunteer and think, hey, it could happen, it's a risk. They right. knew. Or, or you kind of think, but I'll be careful. I'll be the one that right. survives, yeah. But they went, not only, I mean, they were crestfallen if they weren't picked to be one of the 300. And mm -hmm. this is a, it's a story really told through the eyes, not of a Spartan, but of, of one of their less than full citizens. And just his view of their culture, they got a lot of things wrong. They got a lot of things wrong. But having this notion of identifying what in life am I willing to not only sacrifice for, but be disappointed and embarrassed that I wasn't picked to be one of the ones to, I mean, we think about our own political environment right now. I mean, sacrifice is, you know, having to stay over one weekend in DC. I used they to can't get even, They can't even do that this weekend, the Democrats, and yet they want to impeach the president again, but they're going to wait till Monday to do that. Right. right. That's, so, that's the most ridiculous thing. So I wouldn't put that on the list of things that they feel really passionate about because they're not even willing to give up a trip back home. But if you are struggling with how to order life and what means the most, uh, this book, beautifully written, he wrote, I've read, I've read every book he's written, except he wrote a, a nonfiction book that I, that I didn't read, but every piece of historical fiction he's written, I've read, and I, The Gates of Fire will change your life if that's what you want to happen. Can I add... Um an asterisk of like the ones that didn't make in the top five. But now that we've had this discussion, I feel like I have to tell you about this series of books because I think now understanding a little bit more about what you like to read. There is a series called the House of Niccolo series, and it's written by a woman named Dorothy Dunnett. She's a Scottish author. She um, was is it was I think at the end of her life, she was Dame Dorothy Dunnett for her contribution to literature and the House of Niccolo series, it's seven books. You don't have to read all seven, though I do think they need to be read in order. Like I wouldn't just pick up book number three, though I guess you could. But I read all seven over the course of several years. And the first one is called The House of Niccolo. I think that's the first one. And it takes place in the late 1400s. And it's about trade. Um, and the city of Bruges in Belgium was a really big deal back then. That's where all the trading really was happening. The Flemish were doing amazing things um, back then, not just in art, but in trade and the economy um, and, and science. And this book takes you all over the world, this series, all over the world, with great characters, a little bit of humor, battles, personal struggles. You, I, in one of the books, they even go to Timbuktu. Really? On a trade mission, yeah. They, it's so interesting and they're so well-researched. So you feel like you're learning a little bit along the way too. I should look that up on Audible. I should see if that's on Audible. Dame Dorothy Dunnett. Dunnett, yep. Well, Dana, I'm a lot older than you are. Do you think I have no, time? No, you're not. To, I don't think make, you are. 
do I have time to make it through a seven book series? Yeah, you do. You got it. I, I don't even buy green bananas. You think I got time to do that? <laughs> I'm going to try what you described. Sound. I mean, I, I, I well, love just that. try the first one and then see. Very sad. Uh, it's not on Audible. Well, let me ask you this. If someone's going to pick between Plum Island and Gold Coast, which one would you tell them to start? So for? so Nelson DeMille, everybody should read Nelson DeMille. Nelson um, is an incredible author. He is hilarious. He lives uh, out on Long Island and he has a lot of, the reason I recommended them to you especially is he has a lot of law enforcement uh, contacts. And so his books I think are very accurate. Um, uh, the Gold Coast is really uh, about this mafia guy who lived, who was, who was the Gotti? That was his name, right? The big John Gotti. That was the yeah. big time. Yeah, um, it's a little bit about his situation and these neighbors that he has there. And the main characters are always a little bit um, uh, good-looking and swashbuckling and uh, very funny. <clears throat> like Nelson has a great sense of humor. He tells jokes a lot. So in the book, it's they're fast-paced. You can read them really quick. You can take those on your beach or your ski vacation or on your coronavirus vacation on your couch, you'll, you, you can just fall into those books and you'll love them. Well, thank you. Let me ask you this because you're an author yourself. You've written how many books? I have two that I have published and a third one is coming out March 9th. Do you ever see yourself writing like a pure fiction, fiction. book? Uh, you know, I have thought about it and I've thought about some ideas and I've read books about writing and about writing fiction including one by Ann Patchett. And I don't know whether I just don't think I have the brain for it or the capability, um, the character development. I, I read books looking for clues as to how do they foreshadow something that's going to happen. So, you know, when you're reading along, you're like, oh, that's what that was about way back in chapter four. Uh, I just don't feel like I have the skills. And it could be also that I just don't have the time. Uh, it's uh, well, you know, because you've done it uh, two times and doing it a third. It's it, it's a lot. I mean, sometimes you read a book and it took you longer to read it than you think it took them to write it. But if you're going to write something uh, halfway decent, it takes a long time to write a yep. book. Um, uh, a few other books that I were on my list that didn't make the top five: "Rules of Civility" by Amor Tolls. I loved. Now he wrote a book you might like called "A Gentleman in Moscow." And that was that one. Um, I liked Rules of Civility better. I might be one of the only ones, but that was also a major bestseller. But the A Gentleman in Moscow was his second novel, and it's right up your street. I think this that would be a good good one for you. And another one that I loved is called We Are Not Ourselves, and it's just such an amazing story about how the author. Um, believed in this book. His wife believed in the book. They had twins. Uh, they lived in a, I think, one-bedroom apartment in Brooklyn. When he wrote this book, it took him, as you said, took him a long time. Publishers were like, eh, 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 eh. again, huge success. We are not ourselves. And it's about early onset Alzheimer's and what happens in a family. Uh, it takes place in New York City. That book is a triumph. It's excellent. Have you read A Prayer for Owen Meany? Of course. That was actually one of the first books that Peter and I read uh, together as a couple. I had read it and then I gave it to him. And yo, that was a great book. I love that. I just downloaded on Audible, Hotel New Hampshire, written by the same author. Oh, really? I did not. I, I, 
I did not know. I can't even recall the name of the author, but um, but I love that book. I love how he found his purpose. There's some humor in that one too. Uh, heartache, but humor. Yeah, there is humor. Owen Meany is quite a character. Well, Dana, I want to. Uh, it was fun, but I want to close on a sobering note. Uh, I want to okay. thank you because um, if you took a poll of the young women that I worked with in Washington, who their role model is, it would be you. I love that. Oh, and I want to thank you for setting such uh, an incredible example for lots and lots, of, not just young women, but it was the young women who spoke up in my office. Yeah. Yeah. But I just want to thank you for doing that. Thank you. I'm so excited about this book that's coming out in March. It's called Everything Will Be Okay, Life Lessons for Young Women from a Former Young Woman, which is <laughs> the best subtitle. It makes me laugh every time. Um, and for in my first book, I did um, one chapter of mentoring advice. This book is all mentoring advice. And it goes from, it, it, it helps young women, not just from figuring out what they want to do initially, out of college, but really going beyond that and becoming a leader and becoming more resilient and a manager and figuring out a way to navigate all of those pressures that happen with those responsibilities, but accepting the joy of responsibility and making good personal decisions and knowing that you can do it, but also finding um, a sense of serenity because that's what God wants for us. I think, I mean, I, I think that that uh, serenity prayer um, yeah. is one of the most popular in the world because I think that's what everyone craves. Like President Bush used to say that everybody is born with an inherent sense of freedom. Like they know freedom. And if you, this happens throughout literature all over. Somebody could be born in the middle of Africa, never having met anybody else that had lived under any different system, but they will understand unfairness. It's inherent in all of us. And that I think is God's gift to us. And so finding that serenity in the midst of having all these great opportunities because if you are an educated american woman today like the world is your oyster so many things are going your way so i want them to understand that because from my experience and you've managed a lot of these young women they have so much anxiety and it can be crippling and it saps their confidence and then that can start a snowball effect they can hold them back. So I'm so excited for young women to read this next book. Uh, I'm excited uh, to buy it for the young women that I have worked <laughs> with. So tell tell me, when when will it be out? It out, comes out March 9th. Okay, March Which 9th. I have to say in December, even around Christmas, I felt like that was a lifetime away. And all of a sudden I'm realizing that's two months from tomorrow. <laughs> so it's soon. Well. Thank you for being an example to them. And uh, I'm going to let them uh, read from uh, your own pen how you pulled it off. And I, I read the audiobook as well. Um, so if they're busy. That makes a big difference when the author reads uh, her own I didn't book. read my first book and I've regretted it ever since. Well, it was the four of the longest days of my life, but they kept telling me I needed to do it. And Did you know uh, that President Bush, uh, when he finished his audiobook, I, I did the PR for that book, and he called me and he said, did the audiobook today? I'm like, oh, that's good. And he said, yep, seven hours, no breaks. I was like, okay, very good. I don't know how oh. he did it in seven hours. It couldn't, have, oh. that couldn't be true. That's actually one of my, if we, we should do this again and do our nonfiction books. I would love to do that. Let's do that. Oh. Okay. 
I would love to do that. Decision well, points is going to be forward. one of them. I'm excited. And the Bible, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, mom, Bible was number one. She just wouldn't let me use it, mom. Yeah, mom. Okay, I'm going to close this out here because they sent me a little script. And here we go. Thank you to everyone for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at foxnewspodcast.com. Let us know your top five. You've been listening to Fox Top Five on the Fox News Podcast Network. <laughs>